Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the monthly LGBTQIA storytelling night I run at Giant Dwarf in Redfern, with support from the City of Sydney. This week, comedian Reese Nicholson. Yay, Maeve Marsden. Hello. <laughs> uh, all right. I, uh, I never know what to do at these shows. I, I never feel like I'm smart enough. I'm not a writer. I'm a stand-up comedian. We, we don't deal in deft metaphors or clever concepts. We use a lot of overly complicated similes to make you feel like we're smart. But really, like, just like using an AK-47 to shoot dead fish in the world's tiniest barrel, it's easier. <laughs> Basically, what a comedian does is reference something you've heard before. You as the audience go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. And then you laugh and clap and I get paid. <laughs> So tonight I thought, uh, thank you. A little bit patronising. So tonight I thought, I'm going to try and be smart. So here is a story about the time I blew a guy on a public tennis court. (laughs) you got to write what you know. So let me take you back, ladies and gentlemen, to the year 2009. Rebecca Gibney had just won the gold Logie. McLeod's daughters was still a thing, and we were yet to feel the shame slap of Harry Connick Jr. following the Hey Hey It's Saturday Jackson Jive blackface fiasco. It was simpler times. I was almost 19, living in my hometown of Newcastle, my heart full of big city dreams and my lungs full of industrial smog following the leftover collapse of the steelworks. It was like footloose, but somehow gayer. I had also recently lost a lot of weight due to a virgining eating disorder. More on that later. Uncomfortable. Uh, If you're not on board with that, this is going to be real shit real quick. Uh, And from losing a bunch of weight, I had had discovered sex. Even though I had lost my virginity a few years earlier, well, I'm still a virgin technically in the Lord's eyes, there really... (laughs) Just like a lot of people in this room. there really hadn't been much movement at the station in the last couple years. In high school, I was overweight, I had naturally red hair and tremendously bad acne. I was a triple non-threat. As as my high school bully Tom Holloway put it, no one wants to fuck a pizza. Uh, I mean, look, his real name is Bryce McCarter and he works at Nick Scarly now, but but I I don't... um, I won. (laughs) Did I? Uh, um, But now that I was older, things were different. I was different. I had lost weight, my skin had cleared up, and no longer was I this large, greasy pizza no one wanted to have sex with. Suddenly, I was like a medium, greasy pizza. Some people wanted to kiss in secret. I, um... I became, and then I lost a little bit more weight, and I lost a little bit more weight and more weight, and suddenly I became quite popular in a certain way, if you catch my drift. I was quite friendly. I was a slut. Basically, I was a slut. A proud slut. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's low self-esteem. But but I, I, um... So one night, I finished my shift at Grilled, changed, bought a... Remember the burger craze? I bought a a six-pack of Smirnoff Double Blacks and headed to a party. I was about 17. It was one of those parties you had at that age because the parents were away. The kind of party where a bunch of people turned up, broke something, and then left. (laughs) I arrived at the party and almost instantly made eye contact with a guy across the room. The kind of, oh, you're the other gay at this party type of eye contact. I call it the gay nod. Uh, I still do it to this day. A lot of the gay men in the room might know what I mean. You see another one in in an elevator or something, you just kind of go, hmm. (laughs) 
it's, the, it's like we served somewhere together or something. Like, um... <laughs> the Great War of General Pants Co. But I, I um... So I said, say, this guy, I can't remember what his name was, it was like Christopher or, I don't know, a third of us are called that, so we'll call him, um, yeah, we'll call him Christopher. Uh, Christopher, uh, he was, I should say, he was very, very handsome, like way out of my league. But within a split second of talking to him, it became very clear he was not just handsome, he was also a fucking idiot. Oh. <laughs> I never said I played a fair game. So, <laughs> so we start talking and things are going great. Sparks are flying, I had a watch on, I made light move around the room. He loved it. Like, but he, uh... <laughs> so things are going great. Having both finished our drinks we brought, we decided we should go for a walk, which is 17-year-old slut code for let's go dry hump on some state property. <laughs> but both we ran out of alcohol, so ever the MacGyver, I found and stole a box of Fruity Lexia and we were on our way. So let me take you there. It was a, the night was warm, but the goon, she was warmer. We walked, <laughs> we walked silently past each and, and past the sack in between us. And after a while, we, we, we came to a bus shelter and the ambiance, it just took us. <laughs> I was smoking menthol cigarettes and I was trying to look like Marlena Dietrich, but I think it came off more like I had some sort of head injury. <laughs> Christopher looked across the street and said, oh, we should go in there. I knew that place. That was Broadmeadow Outdoor Tennis Courts. I used to go there for high school sport. We climbed the fence and crawled through some bushes and it's kind of becoming this kind of boner, tough mutter at this point. <laughs> now, let me say this. I'm not and have never been sexually adventurous. Even then, I, I, this was kind of very out of my character. Most of my actions as a teen were to kind of create this facade of a crazy guy. If I'm honest, I guess I'm embarrassed about sex a lot of the time. For, here's an example. I, there was kind of radio chatter in my relationship recently that we might want to get like a... Um, like an item involved, like a, like a, like a new buzzy friend, like a, like a sex toy, a sex toy. Which I was against getting a sex toy at first because I felt like by buying a sex toy, we would be taking away a job from a local, homegrown, hard-working Australian dick. You know, I'm, I'm patriotic where it counts. But also, if you own a sex toy, are you not just constantly thinking about it? I'd be always thinking about it. Someone's going to find it. Someone's going to find it. They're going to know. They're going to know I'm having sex. They're going to know I'm having weird sex. Someone's going to know. It's, gonna, it's in the sock drawer. I'd be out and about running my errands. I'd be hit by a bus and my last words would be like, my dildos! Like, like I, I just... I have a friend who, when we were 15, she found her parents double-ended dildo. Correct response. That's, that's the most full-on thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That was over a decade ago, right? She found her parents double-ended dildo. That was a decade ago. And I reckon I think about that. I'm never not thinking about that. Like, it's never... It's never on there cocked and ready to go. Like, that is so full-on. But then, like... I think about it now. That's, like, decades later, I think about it like, no, that's quite... That's quite good. That's quite great. They're in their 50s and their 60s. They're still doing weird shit to each other. It freaked me out then, but now I think it's like a really beautiful modern take on that scene in Disney's Lady and the Tramp where they're eating the pasta. <laughs> So I'm making out with a stranger on a tennis court in Newcastle and we're standing up against this hut thing and I decide I'm bored, I unbuckle his jeans and I go downstairs because I was raised to be nice to new friends. <laughs> I'm down there and things are going great. Things are going well. <laughs> and then suddenly out of nowhere, they're not. It was the mixture of the double blacks and the goon and the movement. <laughs> I gag a little bit, which, which was which was uncommon for me at that point in my life. Usually you could open an umbrella in there, so, so I continue. I'm fine, and then I, I gag again. I gag again, but it's no, I'm fine. I commit to it, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then, like some sort of dickerous, 
I fly too close to the sun. And I just started hurling, like proper, like a crazy, like Niagara Falls of fermented fruit and shame just pour out of me. And he gasped as if someone, like, how do I explain it? He made this noise, this kind of visceral guttural, like, how do I explain it? Like, imagine, imagine, imagine you're getting a blowjob and someone vomits on your dick. Like, that's the only... He's kind of like, why? Like, war crimes kind of bullshit. Like, we're going to the Hague for this. And it was pretty quiet for a bit. But in my family, we either commit to something or we run away. So I ran away. Of course I ran away. Of course I ran away. There's a couple of you that were like, oh, I think he got back in there. Oh, well, nature's lubricant. But, but I guess I... Um... I caught up with a school friend not long ago. We were reminiscing about high school sport in particular and how bad we were at tennis. And my friend Annie, who I hadn't seen in a few years, she said, oh, on that court, God, we sucked. If only she knew. Um, that's the end of my story. Thank you so much for coming out. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening. For tickets to the next Queer Stories, visit giantdwarf.com.au. To check out other events I produce and perform in, visit mavemarsden.com. And if you'd like advance or discount tickets to these shows, look me up on crowdfunding platform Patreon.